Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. I'm talking to everyone here on a Thursday uh, early evening. It's been a uh, busier than expected Thursday, I think you could say, here um, in Ashburn. A lot to get to. We've got uh, Chase Young and Montez Sweat talking about the trade deadline, their names being mentioned often we've got a potential looks like lineup change with the offensive line i should probably say we could drop potential and say we'll discuss changes uh, coming to the offensive line and jam-packed two excellent guests today first off making his uh debut on the standard room only podcast mike florio from pro football talk got his view on sort of the post dan snyder world here and what else he is hearing and seeing about Washington uh, overall and the trade deadline league wide. Then it's my guy Al Galdi. We continue to go alternate shows one week. Last week I was with him on his podcast. This week he jumps over here to mine and we sort of put a put a bow on what happened in that Giants game. But more importantly, you know, where do things go from here? Where's the optimism? What's the hope at three and four? You know, what's, what's, what's Washington's positioning heading of the trade deadline? So a lot to get to. Excited to do that here on the podcast. Of course, make sure you subscribe uh, on iTunes, wherever you do your podcasting. I appreciate that, along with uh, subscribing to The Athletic. And follow me on Twitter at Ben Standig. I'm going to have a trade deadline preview up on the athletic i would think friday morning could be sooner but probably by friday morning and i've written about the trade deadline multiple times this week already including uh on monday about kind of where washington is with regards to chase young and montez sweat um all right let's start there chase young and sweat but as i said both spoke today now chase young was pretty Nonplussed about the whole matter, he said at one point, "I'm not tripping uh, about nothing uh, with regards to this deadline." And that's you know kind of what you expect from Chase. He's a uh, you know doesn't seem to let these things uh, bother him, or at least certainly he doesn't pro- project that. Now, I wouldn't say that Montez Sweat is letting it bother him, but he was a little bit more thoughtful on the situation, and um, he said that, "Hey." You know, there's a lot going on here, and we're trying to focus on Philadelphia. But, quote, with everything going on, it definitely comes across your mind, uh, end quote. He said he's getting information updates from his agent and, and, and elsewhere. Um, and bottom line is, when asked if he wants to stay, Montez said, said quote, I mean, shit. There, oh, no, hold on. That's the quote I just read. But let me back it up here. Here's what Montez said. Montez Sweat said, quote, 
I mean, I can only control what I can control. I definitely enjoyed my time here with the guys on the D-line, the people on the team. But I understand it's a business. I can only control what I can control. Now, I don't think, you know, these guys are not professional speakers. They don't have speech writers. So I don't always take everything that comes out of their mouth as like uh, definitive. This is the message they're trying to send. But he did say, I definitely enjoyed my time. And he didn't say, hey, yes, I do want to stay. Uh, I, I think Montez Sweat is one to watch here at the deadline. I think he would is the one that's going to generate more interest from teams around the league. He's been a safer player, productive. Maybe he lacks Chase Young's potential, but both as a player and as well as a box office draw. But at the same point, if you're trying to get you know, consistent help if you're a contender, I, I think, or even if you're just a team trying to rebuild, I think that is a, you know, he, he is, he is the safer bet, not to mention the durability factor compared to Chase Young uh, and so forth. Uh, this is more speculation on my part, but I think Atlanta is a team to keep an eye on. It makes a lot of sense. Chase Young, sorry, Montez Sweat is from Georgia, from that area. The assistant GM in with the Falcons, of course, Kyle Smith, who was here running the draft when Washington, um, well, I guess he wasn't technically running the draft in 2019, but he was part of the group that ultimately decided to trade back into the first round to take Montez Sweat 26th overall in 2019. Um, so, yeah, I think, I and, and also Atlanta, as we know, because Washington just played them recently, they struggle to get after the, the, um, the quarterback. So, that could make a lot of sense should Washington go down that route. Um, the logic would be, as we, as you've heard me talk about this many, many times, they are. it is unlikely that they can keep all four of the defensive linemen. You already have Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne under contract. Trade one, get at least a third-round pick now. You lock in the pick, that compensatory pick that we all talk about could come and could come into play. But when you factor in that Washington has around $90 million in cap space this coming offseason, whoever is making the decisions will likely want to spend money. And if you go out and add free agent, a free agent or two, at the level of a sweat or young, you could cancel out the compensatory pick and end up with nothing. That's something that can, to consider for sure. Um, so we'll see about that um more to come obviously keep following me on twitter at ben standing uh and on the athletic for more details there let's get to the offensive line ahead of sunday's game against the eagles tyler larson today was snapping balls to sam howell that is unusual for the backup center which is why it appears Tyler Larson is, is headed to start against the Eagles with Nick Gates, it appears, going to the bench. Um, obviously, Washington was successful last year. They were 6-1-1 one, one in games with Larson. That is not because of Tyler Larson. I'm just saying they, have, they, they, they can look back and see recent success with him. And obviously, Nick Gates is coming off a really rough game against the Giants. Uh, <clears throat> so that move appears likely. Then there's the left guard spot. Sadiq Charles missed his second consecutive practice today with a calf strain. 
would be unlikely, I would think, that he's going to play at this point. He was a DNP at practice on uh, Thursday, along with linebacker Cody Barton, who's dealing with an ankle injury and walking around with a walking boot. Now, what are their options at left guard? Well, as we go back to training camp, Sadiq Charles and Chris Paul were battling for that spot. A few weeks back, I asked... Now, let me take a step back. Chris Paul has not been active a single game yet this year. Ricky Stromberg has been serving as the backup guard. Um, they like his fle- position flexibility to play center and guard. Therefore, that's why he's been in there, and he's he's filled in at times when Charles or Sam Cosme has missed some snaps. Earlier in the year, though, I asked Rivera, hey, since Stromberg is active, does that mean that he would be the likely starting guard should an injury occur? He said, no, it would still be Chris Paul. Now, that was a few weeks ago, but that was what the, that was what he said then. Seems reasonable to think that that could still be in play. Now, granted, they are facing the Eagles this week, you know, a monster defensive line, uh, possible, uh, you know, defensive rookie of the year, Jalen Carter among others, will be a handful for Washington. So they already have a lot of concerns, giving collectively 40 sacks on offense, which, again, is is not totally on the line. But nonetheless, Washington is looking to change things up. Um, The the last game against the Giants was just an avalanche of pass rush pressure in the first half. Is going with Chris Paul, a guy with one career start, the way to go? Don't know, but they don't have too many other options. You could move Nick Gates. If he's going to be on the bench to guard, which is where he played with the Giants last year, but he has not practiced there either. So I'm not sure that is where they would go. So I would say keep an eye on Paul with Stromberg in the mix as well. Um, Curtis, uh, what else can I say uh, at practice? Curtis Samuel, Benjamin St. Juice, both limited at practice today. We'll keep an eye on them uh, Friday and throughout the weekend. Yeah, so lots going on here. Haven't even discussed, you know, how they how they going to handle the Eagles. I think, you know, on some level we can debate X's and O's all we want, but we know that Washington just needs to get this done. Uh, Ron Rivera had a his standard meeting with the team on Tuesday, uh, and my understanding is that it was, you know, I think it's often a sort of pep talk to a degree, but I think he really emphasized the need to win this game. They're three and four. You lose, you go to three and five. And while you would still be in the playoff mix, I think at that point it starts to get a bit more um, interesting about the direction of this team. Not only is the trade deadline two days after that, but, you know, where's Josh Harris in all of this? Uh, you know, at, one, at some point does Josh Harris sort of say, hey, we need to start focusing more on the future, i.e. maybe trading a player or two away at the deadline. But by the way, this is not some fire sale. They're not going to trade away, you know, seven players at the deadline, I, w- I wouldn't think. Um, there still would be positioning themselves to get assets as well as try to win some games. And while Young and Sweat are obviously very good, look, the defense is, but you know what? You know, bottom five in points allowed. I think they're 26, 27th in DVOA. So, and they also have, you know, a, a good core of backups um, in James Smith Williams, Casey Tuhill, F.A. Albata, 
Also getting Fedarian Mathis back possibly this week. He's been uh, his, his practice window open and he has been participating in full, so he could be back just to give some more help on the line. Um, so I think all these things are, to me the logical move is to make some kind of moves towards acquiring assets while still not throwing away the the, the season. Um, one last thing here with regards to sort of the Josh Harris of it all. The Commanders today announced they have hired Eugene Shen as Senior Vice President of Football Strategy. Uh, what does that fancy title mean? Well, basically, he's going to be in charge of the analytics department here for the Commanders. He has previous experience with the as VP of Football Analytics with the Jaguars. He also served as Director of Analytics with the Dolphins and Ravens. He worked closely with uh, John Harbaugh in Baltimore, and Harbaugh and Rivera spoke about Shen, who, who spent um, – since the 21, 21 season uh, in the public uh, sector uh, as a derivatives analyst for a company called Millennium. Um, so anyway, I think that what's interesting to me about this is it is sort of the first real sign of Josh Harris starting to put together a group that will be key for him to get both get a feel, I think, for the rest of this year of what is going on to this team, and then, of course, how to proceed moving forward. Uh, Shen will report to Ron Rivera, but I kind of view it in my head, at least, as his being a Harris hire. At some point, we knew they were going to start bringing in more people. That he would, you know, the analytics department for years was one of the lowest, uh, was one of the most understaffed groups in the league with one, uh, with one employee. They added a second one earlier this year, but it's a pretty uh, small group. I would I would imagine there'll be more coming, but this looks like the main one, Eugene Shen, uh, as a VP of football strategy. So that's something else that we'll discuss more down the line. But again, I'm not saying that hiring this guy suggests that Harris is going to get involved at the deadline or sort of put his thumb on the scale as to whether being sellers or hold. But the timing is interesting, and I do wonder if there's something here to consider. But we'll get more about that in the few in the coming days. If the Washington does make a trade, I would guess it would be after the game uh, Sunday at FedEx Field. But we will see about that. All right. Um. Again, as I said, lots to get to. We haven't even gotten to both of our guests. We're going to do that now. We'll start with Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk, and then we'll get to my guy. Al Galdi with the Al Galdi podcast at Al Galdi on Twitter. Excited for you guys to hear both of these chats and no more waiting on that. So here we go. Uh, Mike Florio and Al Galdi coming up next here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right. Uh, we've got a uh, first time guest to the podcast here, but you all know him very well. The uh, empresario of all things at Pro Football Talk, Mike Florio. Mike, I appreciate the time. Um how uh, this is a busy, well, I guess it's always a busy time of year for you, but in the middle of the season, trade deadlines coming up uh, post-Monday night. How uh, How's life going in this uh, NFL season? Well, I appreciate you asking, and I'm going to assume you actually want an answer, and it's not just a perfunctory opening <laughs> to the podcast, so I'll give no. you an answer. Yeah. It's always busy, but there is something unique about football season where there is never really a break, and I'm not complaining. It beats having a real job, but every day there's something. 
every day and every day of the week is the same, regardless of what week it is. Monday unfolds the same way for me. Tuesday unfolds the same Wednesday and on and on. And when you throw in the element of you get through the normal work week and Saturday you wake up, you pack your stuff, you leave for New York and Connecticut for the NBC football night in America duties, put in the full Sunday, Monday, do the morning show, travel home. The reward for getting home safely is what are you doing? Get back to work. So it just never, it's one week after another, after another, after another. I try to carve out some time on Friday night to get away from it. Try, but it's just one after another. It feels like we're on the same calendar. The teams are on, and this is the busy time for everybody. There's a train coming down the tracks every week. And before you know it, it's over. Once you get into November, I've learned through 15 years of doing this, it starts to move even faster. It's Thanksgiving, it's Christmas season, and the regular season's over. And it's like, where did it all go? Uh, so, so true. And, you know, obviously, you know, I'm in a weird spot here in that covering the Washington team. It has been a relentless train for the last three years. And uh, under Snyder, you obviously have been on top of that as well. So for us here, that is that was a frustrating situation from a personal life standpoint at times. But that's just us. <laughs> you have to deal with the whole league. And uh, and Washington may have been the top of the dysfunctional franchise list, but others uh, have tried to rival them, obviously, for sure. Yeah, and I think that the other owners were, for the most part, content to deal with Snyder until evidence emerged that he was stealing from them. When that first came up, that possibility through the congressional investigation that, that money had been diverted from the visiting team pool and other financial irregularities, but primarily something that would point to owners of other teams being shorted what they were due and owing. That was when the bell started to toll for Snyder, and it just became a matter of time, I believe, before they pushed him out. And to his credit, a guy who seems to have zero self-awareness finally had enough to recognize there's only one good way out of this maze, and that is to voluntarily exit it. When I, I you know, there are moments in life where you remember where you were when something happened. Uh, I remember I was driving on the highway to the f team facility for practice when the uh, a tweet came through that said he is uh, they're, they're putting out the put out the letter saying we're open to all options right now with their franchise. <laughs> I was like, whoa, I almost had to make sure I didn't like, you know, I had to like pull over almost just to make sure I was reading this right. And we're also skeptical of Snyder generally that when that came out, the reaction by most was, does he really mean it? What's he up to? What's his angle? Will he really go through with it? What's he trying to do? Is he trying to sell some of the team and raise some money? What is this all about? Is he just trying to buy some short term peace to get people to think he may do it? And then he'll pull the rug out from everyone from under everyone later. There was a high degree of skepticism until the deal was actually done. There was, and it wasn't high. It started high and it dissipated, but there was still a lingering sense that this guy's not going to do it. And we're not going to believe he's going to do it until the paper is done. The signatures are in place. The ink has dried and there's no way he can back out of it. And even then there was kind of like, Oh, well, what's he really, what's he really, what's he really up to? But, uh, I think, you know, as everyone connected to the NFL would agree, he's gone, he's not coming back, and that's good news for everyone's interests, except for the people who have to compete with the commanders, because maybe at some point 
they'll be a better team. And that's a very real dynamic in the NFL, Ben, that I've learned over the years. The owners of the really good teams, the sound, properly functioning franchises, like to have roughly a third of the league that is dysfunctional because it's easier to win games if you only have to worry about half the league. I I I kind of get it. I mean, you know, if you have that power and you have that sway, I mean, it's better when it's you know, we've all been in fantasy football leagues where like it's you, you like having the three or four guys who pay no attention and forget to set lineups. You know, it's funny. I'm at that point in the league season where I'm seeing that happen and I never feel guilty about it. Right? Oh, what a shame. My opponent this week has a quarterback who's on his bye. Oh well, you know, you just take the win however you can get it. And you don't care whether or not the team that you beat is overmatched for whatever reason. So, yeah, it applies the same way to the billionaires. <laughs> you know, speaking of, of the Snyder thing, you know, one thing that was, I think, concerning for people when they when it was getting near the end wasn't maybe it was partly about Snyder. Will he back out? What's going to happen? But also with Josh Harris's group, like, hey, do they really have the the financial wherewithal to get this done with debt and things like that? And I I wasn't paying that close attention to what the owners meetings at the latest owners meetings because they were commanders weren't involved, but my right. They did just change things like the debt limit that, that they raised the limit that owners can uh, buyers can, can use and some other things that seemingly would be direct result of what just happened. Yeah, you're right, Ben. That was one of the items I saw last week from sports business journal. And it's one of those things that gets added to my list of stories to get to and football season gets in the way. And I never did write anything about that, but that's one of the things that a committee of owners has been exploring, how to change the rules to make it more attractive and conducive to people bidding on teams. Because one of the things they were concerned about with the commander's sale, $6.05 billion, they believe it should have gone for more than that. And that the league's rules about 30% equity ownership by the lead investor of the ownership group that that requirement, you know, really rich people aren't walking around with a bag of $2 billion. Right. They're leveraged. They've got their money in this. It reminds me of It's a Wonderful Life. Well, Bill, your, your, your money's in his house and his money's in her house. I mean, they don't have a billion or $2 billion or $3 billion in a safe in their basement. Right. And so the liquidity requirement to just write a check for 30% of the purchase price makes it hard to find somebody rich enough to buy the team. The debt limitations, the things that the limited partners who help a Josh Harris get to the final number, the idea that there are certain things you can't use as collateral when these really rich people use that kind of stuff as collateral all the time. Those are keeping the franchise prices low. And for an asset like this, there's no way to properly value it. I always cringe a little bit when i see forbes try to put values on these teams these teams are worth what someone will pay for them right period and there's a scarcity at play there's prestige that is relevant to this and the league thinks if they loosen these rules enough these teams will start going for a lot more than they currently are even as it skyrockets from 4.65 billion which is what the Broncos got a year later, $6.05 billion for the Commanders. If they loosen these, we're going to get to $10 billion before you know it. Well, good for them. Glad glad they won't be going. Uh... Yeah, no bake sales necessary. <laughs> right, good, 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 good for them. Um, 
Well, let me ask you about that. So obviously it's pretty new in the Josh Harris era. Um, you know, we they, they have been far more accessible than the ownership group than I and we ever had with Snyder, of course. Um, not even factoring in Magic Johnson's tweeting. Um, but it seems as if they've been pretty good about being hands-off. Now I have seen them at practices, and of course they're at games and things like that, but haven't had any sense that they are meddling with whatever Ron Rivera is trying to do. And they have said, hey, we have a lot to learn here. But eventually they're going to poke open up a door or two and say, hey, how uh, how are things going? Well, what's been your sense of anything about what uh, of the view of the new ownership, how they're running the franchise, and just maybe their involvement with uh, kind of anything that's going on? I mean, we already addressed what my biggest concern would be if I was a Commanders fan. The idea that the team wasn't bought by someone for whom money is absolutely no object whatsoever. Whatever we want, we're going to go get, whether it's players, whether it's coaches, whether it's facilities, whether it's stadium, you just write the check, write the check, write the check, write the check. With everything that had to be held together to make this deal happen, I would be concerned that there could be liquidity issues that keep us from being as competitive as I'd like for the team to be. That's my one general concern. Secondly, I love Magic Johnson. I wonder at times whether we get mixed signals about how much power and influence he has, whether that's what Josh Harris bargained for. You rarely see a limited partner in an NFL franchise have this kind of presence and have this kind of voice. It's not his team. He owns... I think 4% of the team, if I'm right, either 4 or 6%, Somewhere something in the area. single digits. Yeah, it's not his team. So Josh Harris needs to be very comfortable with the idea that Magic Johnson is going to be far more visible, far more attractive to interviews, and far more identified with the team. And if Josh Harris is sufficiently ego-free to not be troubled by that, so be it. The other question that I have is, what will happen after this season? after you get a year under your belt and you start making decisions. Is Jason Wright the first one to go? Will Martin Mayhew, the GM, be gone? Will Ron Rivera follow? And Ron Rivera's been through this when David Tepper bought the Panthers. And look, Josh Harris did not buy the Commanders because he felt a burning desire to acquire the employment contracts of Ron Rivera, Martin Mayhew, and Jason Wright. Josh Harris is going to have his own people. That's natural. That's normal. Can the people who are there do enough to get Josh Harris to say, I'm going to set aside who I had planned to bring in and I'm going to ride with you for another year or two or indefinitely. And, you know, that's going to require a playoff berth, I think, to even have a chance to avoid what could be a full house cleaning. Now, with Jason Wright, there's different factors. For Ron Rivera, predominantly, it's how did you do in wins and losses and if they don't win enough, it's not going to surprise me at all. And it won't surprise Ron, I believe, if a change is made. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, Ron's been pretty open about that. Like, you know, he understands of that, hey, this could be it, depending on how things go. And he said he's not going to worry too much about it. Like you said, he's already been through it and he's going to do what he thinks he needs to do. Um, but this is also why, for me, I think this upcoming deadline is really fascinating. Because on the one hand, you know, look, they're still in the mix for a wild card spot at three and four, even though their last three losses have been pretty uh, demoralizing, I think, for a lot of the fan base and probably for some of the organization, hence Jonathan Allen's tirade uh, the other day after the game. Um, but 
the ownership group, I, you know, they may be viewing it as, hey, we're looking more for the future. And we, if you've got a bunch of free agents, maybe it makes sense to make some moves towards the future. I am kind of wondering if they're going to let Rivera run this deadline on their own or do they maybe like i said just gently say hey uh are we gonna keep chase young and montez sweat if not does it make sense to trade one now things like that yeah the concept of tanking when it comes up a lot of people will say well tanking never happens because players always try to win coaches always try to win well yes the players always try to win but if the organization ties the players collective hand behind their back by trading off good players moving on from good players, benching veterans to see what young players can do. That's when the tanking happens in an indirect way. And if you're Josh Harris and it looks like you're not going to make it to the playoffs and you're thinking about the future and you want to stockpile draft picks, this is the time to do it. The problem with the trade deadline, Ben, it's too damn early. Right. And in an 18-week regular season, you know, it was week six. It was the Tuesday after week six until about 10 or 11 years ago it moved to the Tuesday after week eight. Now that they've added another week to the regular season, I think they should at least go back to week 10 because it's impossible to know who should be buying, who should be selling. I mean, we kind of know who should be buying now, but you could go from seller to buyer in one primetime upset win over the 49ers like the Vikings did. Right. They were talking about Daniil Hunter and you know Kirk Cousins was never realistic, but it was out there. Well, that's all changed now because the Vikings are three and four. Their schedule softens considerably, and they're in a position to get in the playoff chase. So that's one thing that Josh Harris needs to ask himself. Are we in a position where we think we reasonably have a shot, or would we rather, and do we believe we're not going to make it, and would we rather trade off some of these assets to get more picks? And then the question becomes, how do you implement that vision in a way that that doesn't create the impression you're meddling and and encroaching on turf that you've promised to stay away from so it's it's a complicated situation i think because you're gonna have people who may undermine their short-term best interests to win and in turn prevent their long-term vision of sticking with the team if you're ron rivera you want to do everything you can to make the playoffs you don't want to trade off assets because you may not be there anyway to take advantage of whatever you get in return for those players uh that that is definitely the 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 view the public view for sure that 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 Ron Rivera needs to to do that so that 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 said there's always a, an offer you can't refuse out there Chase Young has played really well this year I think there were, there were a lot of questions about how he would perform coming off the significant knee injury he had been kind of you know his sophomore year wasn't that spectacular he's played well Montez Sweat is there as well and you know my take has always been I don't think they can realistically sign all four of those defensive linemen to, to second contracts especially when you don't know what you're going to be spending on quarterback ultimately. What's your sense, if, if any yet, about what Chase Young or Montez Sweat potentially could draw in the trade market right now? Because ultimately that's going to be the real question, I think. Yeah, and it's just like what it, what you get for an NFL franchise. What will someone pay? Do you get multiple teams at the table? Ideally, that's the best way to do it. You have multiple teams. If you're going to move on from the guy, you want to have two or more teams bidding the price for the contract up as high as you possibly can. And then the question becomes, do you have a floor below which you just won't go? Because sometimes the best trade leverage is to say, well, screw it. We're just going to keep the guy. We got to get what we want or we're not going to move him. And we've seen that come into play from time to time. Sometimes it's a fire sale. Sometimes it's, 
we're not going to make this move unless we get what we want. And teams will try to be coy. Jerry Jones was talking about that on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas today. They're not ruling out any trades, but they're not going to make the first move. They're going to lay in wait. They don't want to give up too much. So that's part of it as well. Can you get to a point where both teams are happy with the outcome? And it's case by case. It's unique. There really isn't, in my mind, you know, some magic number that you need to get because it all comes down to how motivated Washington is to move on. And the thing you balance against what you can get now is what you would get in a compensatory draft pick situation down the road. That's always the consideration. What do I get now in 2024 draft picks? What would I get from a guy who's going to become a free agent after the season in 2025 draft pick compensation for free agency losses? That's a big part of that, that total analysis. And again, for guys who may not be there, it's hard to engage in that analysis objectively and fairly. Um, a different name that hasn't been discussed much publicly, I don't think, is Jacoby Brissett. Now, quarterbacks run the world, as we know, in the NFL, and even that could mean as a backup. I think they should stay with Sam Howell almost regardless, sink or swim with him, get out of either rise or you get a top 10 pick. And therefore, to me, Jacoby Brissett is not really necessary. But other teams around the league could use him either maybe the Cleveland Browns right now and or other teams as a backup. You think there's a market out there for a guy like that who's sort of like the 33rd best quarterback in the league? I think there would be if the commanders were willing to trade him. But everybody needs a backup quarterback. If something happens to Sam Howell, you need – Jacoby Brissett and Sam Howell's on pace, I think to be sacked 97 times, which would shatter the single season record from David Carr's rookie year of 2002 with the Texans. I think that's the year that that record was set. And I think it's in the seventies, 97 sacks at some point, Sam Howell is going to get injured. It's basic physics. It's repetition. You keep getting hit by NFL caliber, defensive linemen, linebackers, blitzing defensive backs. At some point, you're just not going to be able to continue. So who's your backup going to be? You have to be comfortable with that analysis. I think that's one of the reasons why the Jets suffered through that period of time for Zach Wilson to, to begin to be at least a serviceable option to Aaron Rodgers. So, yeah, I think they could find somebody who would want him. I just don't know why you would want to move on from him, given the possibility Sam Howell is going to get injured and you still have to field a football team and at least make it look like you're trying to win games, even if deep down – you're, you're happy to finish as high in the draft standings as possible. Um, let's just broaden it out and, uh, before I let you go. The, there's already been some interesting trades in the league. Like you said, it's a little probably too early to get some maybe some splashier deals, but what, what are some of the names or teams that you're expecting we may hear from in the next few days with regards to the, the deadline? Well, the fact that the Titans have already traded safety Kevin Byard to the Eagles, first thing I thought was, is Derrick Henry in play? Because there was some reporting, I think, from Michael Silver back in March that they were looking at trading Derrick Henry. He's in the last year of his contract. And it might have been a situation where they told him, hey, go out and see if you can find a better deal from someone else than what we're paying you. Because some of these established running backs want more, a lot more than what they're due to make. But maybe now, knowing that the Titans are not going to be competitive this year, they've got an injury issue with Ryan Tannehill, who's not likely to play this weekend. Maybe you move Derrick Henry either based on an injury that happens this weekend, and there's no buys this weekend. Everyone's playing. So you have one more data point, one more game, one more opportunity for a starting running back on a contending team to get injured. Or as I suggested earlier today on PFT, what if the Rams decide, you know what, we got a chance here. Let's go F them picks and let's get Derrick Henry to be our running back paired with Matthew Stafford and Aaron Donald and maybe a team that could get to the playoffs. What if the Bills decide to say, 
we're done trying to do the Josh Allen scoring 17 points with one pass. Let's have a foundation of a running game. Let's go get Derrick Henry. The Browns could use Derrick Henry. You mentioned them as it relates to quarterback. They've had Nick Chubb out and Jerome Ford got injured over the weekend. And Derrick Henry would be great in Cleveland with that defense and what they're doing. So that's got that's a guy that I'm watching just because the Titans have already signaled to us that they are in sell mode. Once you slip into sell mode, I think it becomes easier to convince a team to sell more pieces. But this weekend is critical. Injuries. Think back to 2011. Carson Palmer quit on the Bengals. He was sitting at home on the couch. Jason Campbell, the former first-round pick in Washington, broke a collarbone with the Raiders on the sixth Sunday of the season, back when the trade deadline closed on that following Tuesday. And by Tuesday, the Bengals and the Raiders had a deal. Carson Palmer was a Raider. Those injuries that can happen, the last set of games before the trade deadline can change everything. Um, I know you told me uh, what time to, you had to go, and I already forgot. You have time for one more question, or do yeah, you... I'm good. I'm good. Okay. I got I got five more minutes. Okay. Um, just and broaden it out. One thing I think it's a you know appreciated with your coverage is you 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 know you call it like it is. You're you're not afraid to call out the league or things. And this isn't so much calling it out, but what's your sense of the season so far? The performance, the play. It feels to me like. It's pretty down, especially after the seeing the Dolphins lose the other day and they get slowed down. Like, there's not a lot that's, wow, this team looks tremendous. The Niners thought to be another really good team. They just they they just lost again. The Eagles have been good, but not great. Where's your sense of the play in the league? I, we know it's incredibly popular, but the performance, the product. You know, it's funny. Heading into the season, things felt fairly evenly matched. And when things feel evenly matched, features like, week one power rankings when everyone is zero and zero are for me extremely frustrating because somebody's got to be 32 somebody's got to be 31 somebody's got to be 30 and the fan bases get pissed off when they're zero and zero and they're glass half full they don't want anyone to suggest their team's not going to be great and then we get into the season and we've got five or six great teams five or six awful teams and everybody else in the middle and the offense still is languishing for a lot of these teams it feels like it's taking longer than usual this year for the offenses to gel. That's why what happened with the Ravens on Sunday was encouraging for them. What happened with the Vikings on Monday night was encouraging for them. And I know that scoring is down. The best evidence of it is the NFL isn't sending out a weekly email bragging about all the scoring. You know, in recent years, when scoring was up, they wear you out every Monday bragging about scoring, 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 scoring. And this year, not a peep because scoring is down and the unders are very popular bets now 39 38 was an aberration for colts browns the other day and uh you know i don't know that it's going to click for any of these teams but defenses seem to be ahead of offenses and i think that's one of the reasons why we see so many uncalled holding penalties on offensive linemen they're trying to keep the quarterbacks upright they're trying to keep the quarterbacks healthy they're trying to give the quarterbacks enough time to, to get the ball down the field. And I think a lot of the officials are just looking the other way on holding because it, it gives the quarterback that extra half second or so to get rid of the football and keep the games exciting. Yeah. The cult of the NFL is obviously real. And I just think like the, the way people talk about it is if every game is spectacular is like, yes, you clearly are not watching everything. It's not been spectacular yet. It's exciting, but not as the play is not always uh, there. Uh, last question. Uh, you mentioned before it's natural for an owner to want to bring in his own people. Should Josh Harris at the end of the year decide we're blowing the whole thing up, 
coach, GM, all of it. Uh, not saying you make a prediction, but who were, who would be a name of a coach or GM that if you were advising Josh Harris, you would say, hey, I think you need to look at this guy. He might be available and he's pretty good. Well, I think one very real possibility is that Josh Harris will just decide to make Eric Bannemi the head coach. I thought that the moment that Ron Rivera said, I can't remember whatever he said about players having an issue with the enemy coaching him too hard. And it just kind of flickered in my brain. You know, it may be that, that the commanders decide to do what the Buccaneers did several years ago, although they'll never admit to it. And Dirk Cutter still won't speak to me because I dared to ask him the question. But when Lovey Smith got fired and Dirk Cutter was made the head coach, you know, you've got an offensive coordinator who's helping make things go instead of losing him somewhere else as a head coach, just make him your head coach and move on from your current head coach. That's one name I'm watching. And, you know, if Bill Belichick leaves the Patriots, I don't know that he's got the same cachet that he had five years ago. He doesn't. And I don't know that you just give him the keys to the operation because he's kind of running aground in New England as the head personnel guru. But, you know, the commanders could do a hell of a lot worse than Bill Belichick as their head coach. That's for damn sure. So I'm very, very uh, curious about whether or not, number one, Belichick will be done in New England, and number two, whether or not Josh Harris will decide to explore making him the next head coach of the commanders. So did he not sign an extension, or would we not know that that's real, or what? Well, I don't think it matters. I think it was leaked by Belichick or someone close to him to get people to quit talking about the possibility that he'll be fired during the season. I think that if Robert Kraft decides to move on, and he made it clear back in March that this isn't about Belichick hanging around to set the all-time wins record held by Don Shula. We need to win, and we need to get, get to the playoffs. If Kraft wants to move on, Kraft's moving on, and whatever check he has to write, he's going to write it. And if Belichick lands with the commanders and gets a ton of money, that's just less money that Kraft will have to pay him. I think that whole thing was about taking the steam out of the suggestion that Belichick could be fired during the season. Uh, obviously, you guys already know where to find him, but Pro Football Talk on NBCSports.com, at Pro Football Talk on Twitter, X, whatever we're calling that thing. Uh, Mike, greatly appreciated. Uh Hang in there, get some rest, and uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. Hey, great to talk to you, Ben. Anytime you need me, drop me a line. It's always fun to talk some football. Appreciate it. Thanks, pal. All right, uh, joining me here as we're doing now every week during the season, our home and home series. Al Galdi is here now. I was thinking, you know, we're all trying to figure out what is the deal with the Commanders. There, one week they're this, one week they're that. There's no consistency. I think maybe we are to blame because we are the originators of one week. We do your podcast. One week we do my podcast every week. It's a different deal. And that is how the commanders seem to be playing games this year. So maybe we are to be to blame for what's what's happening. That's a good point. You know, maybe we're confusing the players. Maybe we're confusing the coaching staff. We, we got to look up the record for the team when I'm on your show and the record for the team when you're on my show. And, and maybe there's something there. Maybe there's a competitive advantage that we can exploit. Uh, that's a good, that's a good point. Uh, let's see. Hold on. I was on your show week one, three, five, and seven. This is going into week eight, week one, win week three, week five, week seven. So that's a, that's a big, uh, you know, <laughs> clearly me going on your show, not working bears, bears, giants, and bills. 
Not good. Not, not good at all. Not, not good. Can you imagine? Like, we're not going to rehash the Giants game at this point, but you know, can you imagine if I told you after they lose to the Bills thirty-seven to three that that might be their third worst loss already? <laughs> I know. I know. It's uh, it's rough. It's not what anybody wanted, and yet, and it's crazy, man. Three and four. Like I, I said this at two and three. Two and three felt like two and ten. Right now, three and four feels like three and ten. And yet it's only three and four. Like it, it from a, a standing standpoint, it's actually not that bad. It's actually a position at which this team has been uh, plenty of times in recent years. But of course, we all know it's not just about the three and four. There's so much more that goes into that. It's the nature of the losses. It's the fact that it's year four of Rivera, et cetera. But no doubt, um, if ever there was a record that does not truly match the feeling or at least does not truly speak to the extent of the feeling, this is it. Uh, this is a three and four that feels about as bad as three and four uh, feels I like could ever feel for an NFL team. Somebody on Twitter uh, asked, sent a text or a tweet or whatever we're calling tweets these days in the, in the X world to me and some of the other people on the beat and said, uh, what happened that folks like you thought this team was going to be good? Not competitive, but good. What happened that you could all have been that wrong? It says genuine question. So I'll, I'll take it as he's not digging. He's just asking. And I responded, well, one, I don't think any, I don't know anybody who said they would be good, like in a real sense, like good. I think we were all kind of saying six to nine wins, depending on breaks of the game, injuries, and maybe like, the defense, like if the defense actually goes up a notch, you know. Um, but then also, like, you can't predict human beings and how life is going to work out. And ultimately here, you know, it. but then I said to him, but here's the other thing. They're in the six to nine win range. They're three and four. They're a half game out, right? They're tied at three and four with other teams, including the Vikings who won on Monday night in the Rams. And they are a half a game out of a wild card berth today. Now that's irrelevant in the real sense because of the season still miles to go, but like, yeah, if they could actually figure anything out, it, being in position for the playoffs is not that complicated, but it's, it's, I don't know how anybody can view this team as a playoff team. When you look at the entirety of their schedule, the only teams they beat so far, the perceived worst team in the league when the season started, a Denver team that gave up 70 points the week after they played them and Atlanta, which is, you know, sort of a, you know, another middle of the pack team who I think Atlanta was maybe a little too cocky going into that game, but whatever the commanders did what they had to do. This is, this definitely feels much worse than three and four. Yeah. And you know, the point differential does speak to that. I mean, minus 50 on the season. Uh, that is not a point differential that says three and four. That's a point differential that uh, says a lot worse than that. The the NFL is so odd, right? Because the season is this small sample size. And I've always felt like the classic Bill Parcells line of you are what your record says you are is actually so wrong. And like so often there are teams that aren't what their records say that those teams are like. There's a lot that goes into what your record is. And when you only play, you know, for a long time, 16 games, now 17 games in a regular season, it doesn't truly capture necessarily what you are as a team. And you know, so I think about the commanders and look, could they beat Philadelphia this Sunday? Sure. I mean, actually, that would be kind of a typical Washington under Ron Rivera thing to do. You know, to pull off a win, you know, but but here's the thing, man. 
even if the commanders win this game and, it, and it's your typical Ron Rivera, Washington, you know, 17, 15 win, then what? And so what? Okay. Like it, it, does that change anything fundamentally? Like it'll get us excited. Okay. I'm a fan of the team. Like I'll be excited if the commanders beat the Eagles and we'll be saying, Hey, you know, 500 going into November, uh, very much in postseason contention, et cetera. But what will it really mean? You and I have talked about this many times. Like, what truly are you building here? Where truly are you here? I, I have to tell you, there's a part of me that doesn't have the stomach for a 17-15 kind of win. Like, if the commanders <laughs> somehow blow out the Eagles on Sunday, okay, then you can be excited. Then maybe you could say, hey, they figured some things out. Young quarterback, team is rising, you know, hold off on the fire sale. But if it's a, if it's a, you know, again, like a 17-15 Ron Rivera, Washington win, great. I mean, you know, a salute to the team for doing that. But what does it really mean? I think one of the real pains of these losses to the Bears and at the Giants is that there's no getting away from those losses and those results and the natures of those losses. Those feel like losses that expose what you are as a team fundamentally. And that is you're just not that good. And no other result, you know, barring again, like a blowout of a good team, multiple blowouts of good teams is going to make you change that. Like it's, it's going to be very hard for this team to escape what happened against the Bears and at the Giants. It feels like those two games were extremely revealing games for the commanders. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, the phrase perception is reality. The first year of Ron Rivera, nobody was expecting anything. The goal was to, d- to help to build a developing young quarterback and then turn over the roster. And then they got hot midway through the year. They finished seven and nine at a down division, win the division. But the per- the, the the perception was, OK, here they go. Ron Rivera, they're, they're turning things around. Look what they did in year one. Well, now it's year four. They're, the, they're, they're trying to develop a young quarterback. They're on pace at three and four to essentially be a seven and nine ish type of team, right? And the perception is, oh no, again with this. The, the, the where is this going? It's going nowhere, and that and that is what they think. It's not just that the record and people can you know people can point to whatever's happened in the past. It's that it's year four and things don't seem to be improving. They just seem to be stagnant. And even if they get to the point, like you said, where they improve enough to get to about five hundred or whatever to what end i mean it doesn't it's not going anywhere and that's where it's frustrating this deep into the year and also like you know when you just look at the roster more practically uh, a friend of mine called me up yesterday just to you know shoot the you know what uh shoot shoot the thing that jonathan allen would uh, would have said um and you know we, we had the conversation about it's insane that all this time the only pro bowlers on this team were the players that Ron Rivera inherited or the number two pick in the draft that he inherited that led to the one pro bowler that, you know, technically he drafted in chase young. And uh, yeah, it's just like, here we go again. It's, it's just, uh, we, we can't get off of this cycle. Um, That said, let's try to help them get off the cycle. I give you the power. You can make one change right now. And I'm not saying trade for, you know, miles Garrett, yeah, you know, but like you can, you know, you can you can swap out somebody out of the lineup. You can uh, change something with the coaching staff in terms of responsibilities. You can change the uh, intro music when the players run out into the field at FedEx Field for the game against the Eagles. Whatever it is, what's one thing that you would say? You look. I think this is what I would do to try to you know 
change something up here. Well, I think the number one problem with the team is the sacks. The, the, the sacks are wrecking this offense, which beyond the sacks, I think actually might be a halfway decent offense. But the sacks are destroying any sort of true competence that this team can have offensively. You know, it's not just that Sam Howell has taken an NFL worst 40 sacks. Look at the yardage lost on the sacks. I think it's like 267, if I'm remembering correctly. But it, it, it's over 250. You, you think about that over seven games in a season. What you could do with that yardage, you know, when applied to various points in games. And yet you you as a team have lost more than 250 yards just on sacks on the season. So I really think that there needs to be almost like a come to Jesus moment with the sacks and the figuring out of how to truly prevent this. Now, you know, you and I talked to a lot of people. We look at a lot of the data. People try to pick a side with the sacks. There, there is no side. All parties are to blame. Sam Howell, the offensive line, Eric Bieniemy's play calling, like all of it is a part of this. In some games, Sam has been more at fault. This most recent game, Sam was under constant siege. There were issues with the protection calls, whether those were the responsibility of Sam or the center Nick Gates, not clear. But whatever the case, there needs to be an ability here, whether it's from Bieniemy or someone else, to fix the sack problem. And I feel like in a lot of ways, this is the test of Eric Bieniemy as an OC. Can he scheme the team's way out of the sack problem? We know that this is a problem. We know that this is a multifaceted problem in terms of the causes of the problem. So here you go, Eric. Like, this is your shot. This is your offense. This is your baby. We all know the deal here. Eric is here to get himself an NFL head coaching job, which he may well deserve. Let's see him figure this out. Let's see him scheme something up to fix or at least lessen the sack problem. I mean, it's crazy, man. If you take three sacks a game, that's a lot. That would be drastic improvement for this team at this point. If you could get off the the train of five or six sacks given up per game and just whittle that down to, say, three, that would be significant. Can you do that? Can you figure that out? So, you know, I don't know what the magic bullet solution is. I don't know that there is one because every game plan is different. But I I think so much of what this team does moving forward is about this sack problem. Because if that gets fixed or at least lessened, I think a lot of things start to fall into place for this team. You know, it's funny. um, You mentioned everybody's trying to figure out who to blame, right? And it's the quarterback, the line, and the enemy. Is it weird that we never mentioned the offensive line coach? I don't think most people know who that is, <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah. Right. I mean, Travell Wharton was the assistant, then got promoted when John Matsko, I'm air quoting here, you know, retired or whatever happened there. Um, They have Juan Castillo, who if they just said he was the O-line coach, you'd be like, okay, well, his history is pretty good, you know. But yeah, we never, nobody ever mentions that. And I think it also says something to the nature of the problem. Like, I, I, I'm not going to pretend to say that Trevor Wharton is a good coach or a bad coach. It's, I, you know, I, I think these things are, it's, it, it's way too complicated to know. We, we don't know all the details. But at a position where they had this guy in John Matsko, who was with Rivera forever, and I mean, you know, last year seemed like they were giving up way too many sacks. They've already almost reached that number now after seven games than they did last year with Wentz and Heineke. And it was with a game where Wentz also had nine sacks. Um, so I don't know. I think I, I, the fact that like 
they, you know, and it's sort of the same thing in the secondary a little bit. A coach goes out for whatever the reason, and they replace them with somebody on the staff, and they'll obviously promote from within. I, I'm not arguing that, but it's, you know, I, those are two areas where they, it feels like they've been lesser than than expectation. Well, they all, not there's no expectations on the line, but lesser than from last year. Um, okay, so that said, if the line is the issue, I, I you know, well, we can tell Eric Bieniemy look, roll Sam Howell out more, put in more max protection, things like that. And that's fine, but you know, we we you know, there's only so much we we can't control what Eric Bieniemy is going to do. We can make suggestions though about the personnel. So I'll give you three options, you t- or four options. You tell me which option you would take. Now, this is particular with Sadiq Charles uh, straining his calf in the last game. The fact that he's going to have an MRI and it was an injury he had before, this is speculation, but leads me to think he may not play this week. So here are your options to, to, to fix this. Maybe, maybe this fix can give you some life. One, Chris Paul is replaces him. Chris Paul... I asked Rivera earlier in the year, is Stromberg now the next guard because he's the active one, or is it Paul? He said, no, it would still be Paul, okay? Then there's also Ricky Stromberg, your third-round pick. Let's get this guy in there. Let's shut up the Ben Standing and Al Galdi's of the world when they say, hey, what about your rookie class? Let's you know. Okay, Ricky Stromberg. The other option is take Andrew Wiley, put him back at guard, which is where he was with Kansas City before moving to tackle and put Cornelius Lucas at right tackle or to stay where it is. Just figure out ways to improve the situation. It takes an offensive line some time to get uh, continuity. There were four new starters this year, essentially, all that kind of stuff. And plus, like if Sadiq is back in a week, maybe you don't want to jumble things too much. What would uh, – uh, well, I guess you can't do do nothing if Sadiq is out, but you know what I mean. What 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 would you, what would the Al Galdi approach be? Well, there are some critical pieces of information that I'd have to have. Number one is with Cornelius Lucas. I know there are people who believe that he's a lot more comfortable at left tackle than at right tackle, and that that helps to explain why his performance at left tackle during his time with Washington seemingly has been better than his performance at right tackle. Although I don't think he's been like a bad right tackle, but he really has done a good job at left tackle. So I'd like to know, is that a thing or is that not a thing? Is he just as comfortable, just as good at one spot as at the other spot? And that's the kind of thing only someone I think on the inside could truly answer. So I'd like to know that. The other thing I'd like to know is, so like Andrew Wiley, okay, he clearly has had some rough moments this season, but we've looked at some of the advanced stuff And it does speak to the pass protection for this offensive line actually overall having been better than people think. Now, I don't think the pass protection in this last game was particularly good. But over the first, say, six games of this regular season, the data, and this is not just from like PFF, this is from Sports Info Solutions, this is from ESPN, the pass blocking actually wasn't that bad. I'm talking like it was upper half of the NFL. And so I'd like to know if internally, do the commanders agree with that? Or would they say, no, don't buy into that stuff. We have had issues from a pass protection standpoint. So with those two things kind of established, uh, I would be very tempted to have Lucas at right tackle and kick Wiley inside. Because uh, Wiley, of course, played a good bit of guard with the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think we all understand that playing guard is easier than playing tackle. So if you can be sort of a mediocre tackle in theory, 
you can be a pretty good guard. And I'd like to think that Wiley could be that. I think the Chris Paul thing is bizarre. And, and you've been all over this for weeks. But, yeah, I mean, we have this competition between Paul and Sadiq Charles. A, a winner is never declared, but we all know that Sadiq won it because he started every game there at left guard. But then Paul has been inactive for every game. And so I, I know you could say, well, you know, Ricky Stromberg position flex. He could play center and guard. That's why Stromberg has been active. Okay, fine. And Str- Stromberg has spent a third round pick on the guy. But if Chris Paul was that close to being your LG one, what sense does it make having him inactive? Like we all know Sadiq Charles injury history. Why is it that Paul has been inactive for every game? It seems like there's something there that is, is causing some fear about playing him. So, yeah, I mean, if you're not going to put Lucas into the lineup, um, I think going with Stromberg probably would be the way to go. But th- th- that's a strange deal to me that, I mean, we seemingly were pretty close to Paul being the starting left guard. And instead, he hasn't been active for a single game this season. Well, this is the whole position flexibility conversation that kind of drives me nuts. The rationale for Stromberg being up is he can play multiple positions. But you're talking about him being the third string center. I, I get it. You need, you never know. And look, this team knows more than any team that you could lose a bunch of centers, but that can't be the sole reason for everything. And it also goes to the point of if they're unwilling to shake up the offensive line in like, say a way that we just suggested, then what is the point of position flexibility? You can't just keep talking about it and then say, and then not be willing to exploit it for the starters. It can't just be in the case of emergency. You can't be building your roster and plan for that, but it does seem like at times uh, that's what they're doing. So Stromberg is behind Tyler Larson, like in the center hierarchy. It is Gates oh. one, Larson two, Stromberg three. That that would be my assumption. I, I guess I don't know that for fact, but that would be my assumption because otherwise, if it was the opposite, right, then you would think more logically Chris Paul would be active over Tyler Larson, um, right? Because then Stromberg would be the backup, and then Paul, like you'd have your better backups at both spots yeah. as opposed to that makes sense. And, you know, I, I don't know. Um, but I, I just lastly on the line and we'll go to something else. You know, you, you you to the notion of the blame pie and who gets the blame. I think to me, this game was the most jarring as far as the line goes because it it it, it was like. Hey, you're going to play the Golden State Warriors. Be advised they shoot three pointers. And then you go out there and just d- don't defend the arc. And you're like, "Oh, well that was uh that was weird how we had on side. Like this isn't this isn't you don't need an X and O's expert or film analyst to tell you that the Giants are going to blitz a lot w- under their defensive coordinator." And yet even then you're like it, it was a, it just felt like an avalanche over and over again in the first half of watching Sam Howell have nowhere to go. And I was watching some of the tape back and in the first half. And, you know, the, 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 there were just so many plays where you're just like, what is happening here? And that is why, like, it feels like it needs it needs to be more than just simply even just rolling Sam Howell out or whatever. Like, that they need to do – then something needs to change in a more dramatic way. Yeah, and that's why I do come back to Eric Bieniemy. And look, I know that there's only so much that he can do. And it was interesting that Sam in his post-game press conference and even Ron in his day after the game presser on Monday both kind of spoke to the plan was sound, the execution of the plan was not. But again, ultimately, the offense is your baby. Whether your plan is sound or not, if things aren't working, if guys aren't taking to the plan for whatever reason, 
you got to figure something out. And it just felt like it took the team too long to figure that out. Uh, you know, when Sam got sacked for a sixth time on that opening drive of the second half, you know, he got sacked on the second uh, offensive snap for the commanders in each half on Sunday afternoon. It just felt like so hopeless, you know, and things did get better. That was the last time that Sam got sacked in the game. But sacks wreck offenses. Like from an EPA standpoint, when you get a sack on a drive, like you almost can forget about the drive. Like it ruins you. And that this keeps happening, it, it, it just it does not reflect well on anyone for sure. But I just would like to think that Eric can figure some stuff out here. And I'm sure that he's trying. I'm not, you know, I'm like, he's aware of the problem, okay? Um, I'm not one of these people who likes to say, oh, we know more about X's and O's than the coaches do. Like, no, Eric knows a lot. And I think, yeah, he's actually done some really good things so far this season. But I did not think that Sunday uh, was a banner day for him. He got outcoached uh, by old Wink Martindale. Um, all right, before we pivot to the uh, trade deadline, a converse, part of the conversation I want to have, anything else for you that's just, uh, you know, a thorn in your paw, uh, the, 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 uh, the pain in your head, the ache in your head? What, 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 what's that? Anything else for you that's uh, driving you nuts? Yeah, I do think that the drops for this team are not getting enough attention. And I've been talking about them on my podcast. And I'm not trying to say that drops are like the number one problem for the offense. But there are drops in all of these games right now, it feels like. And, you know, Jahan Dodson stands out the most with three bad drops over the last four games. But there are other plays that can be made that aren't being made. Deami Brown has had a good number of those plays. Terry McLaurin had a good game on Sunday afternoon, but he had a play that he, he could have made, a catch that he could have made, did not. Logan Thomas had a catch that he could have made, but did not. Now, you know, how you define a drop is kind of up to you. Not all drops are the exact same in terms of how egregious they are. Uh, you know, not every throw is perfect either. You know, I saw some people say, well, the throw from Sam to Jahan on that final commander's offensive play was off. Yeah, it was a little bit off. You know what? Sam was under siege on that play. Escape pressure, got off a throw. Was it picture perfect? No. Was it catchable? In my opinion, yes. Is that a play Jahan needs to make? Yes. Well, that's uh, why but- when we when we watch highlight clips, it's not always the the receiver is 20 yards open and the ball is perfectly put in yeah. his hands. It's it's the it's the acrobatic jumping, diving, whatever it right. is. Yeah, right. Exactly. And so I think there is an element here of guys need to, as the saying goes, step up and oh. guys need to make some plays for Sam. Howell. you know, as, as Joe Gibbs used to say, you have Sam fighting his guts out here. Uh, make some plays, make some catches that maybe are a little difficult, that maybe aren't easy to make. And at times we're seeing that. I mean, Terry had some great catches on Sunday, but. There are some big chunk yardage plays over the last few games that have not been made that could have been made. And I think drops have been a reason. And, you know, for all the talk about how great the receiving core is and the skill position players, tight end, et cetera, uh, we're not seeing a lot of that this season. The commanders do not rate well in terms of yak. And uh, we're seeing, in my opinion, too many drops or at the very least too many plays that aren't being made that could have been made. Uh, Yeah, fair, fair enough for sure. Um, and obviously also like the run game has just been non-existent yeah. both in terms of touches but also uh, production for sure. Um, all right, let, let's go to the trade deadline. We're talking here on Tuesday. So literally it's a one week from today. So I guess in theory, things could change, especially if they beat Philly. Um, I, I was wrote the other day that I really don't think it should change. I, I don't think that the Philly game win or lose should d- definitively change their approach in that 
as we're saying, there's no consistency. The, the, the then what is the issue that they need to, you know, look at this thing from a bigger picture perspective. Um, and I'm including Ron Rivera in that, but for you, does that matter? I don't know what your thoughts are about. We'll get to that about who you would trade or what you would trade or whether maybe you want to be a buyer or whatever it is. Does the, would the Eagles game win or lose change your view or does that not matter? Not really. I mean, I, I've said sort of half jokingly, if the commanders win in a blowout, you know, like if they come out and they look great and they look like they fixed their problems, then okay. All right. But like raise your hand if you're expecting a dominant win for Washington against Philly on Sunday. I'd love to see that. Okay. But you know, I don't think anyone is expecting that. So like I said earlier, if even if the commanders win, but it's that sort of typical 17, 15 win, that's not going to really move me that much. It'll be exciting. It'll be nice, but I, I don't know how you're going to be able to look at that and say, okay, you know, onward and upward, like we have arrived. Like, no. Uh, now, do I expect the commanders to be sellers? I, <clears throat> no, I don't. Uh, first of all, we, we don't see a lot of that in the NFL. We're, we're seeing it a little more in recent years, but we don't, we don't see a lot of that. But second of all, uh, you had what Ron said on Monday afternoon, which basically was, we're not going to be doing anything from a trade deadline perspective, certainly from a selling standpoint and see you know, there is this bizarre dynamic of it does not in any way behoove Ron, who's coaching for his job, to sell off a bunch of pieces here, right? Like if you're Ron and you're trying to win, uh, you're not going to be trading away guys who, in theory, could help you win. And, of course, Ron also is in charge of player personnel. Now, of course, you can inject into the mix, well, what if Josh Harris steps in and orders Ron to be an aggressive seller come the deadline? But, of course, that would raise the issue of, well, do you want – uh, ownership meddling in football operations. So I, I think it's such an interesting topic because there is so much to be thinking about. But I, I think that, yeah, barring some, you know, whopping win on Sunday against the Eagles, I think the commanders need to be sellers. I think if you're going to be a seller, you need to be an aggressive seller. And I, I think another thing that makes the circumstance unique is just how many significant unrestricted free agents to be or on the team. It's hard to remember a season in which this many significant players for Washington were in contract seasons. I mean, I think most people know the list by now, but like you just think about Montez Sweat and Chase Young and Kendall Fuller and Cameron Curl and Curtis Samuel and Antonio Gibson. I think even someone like Jacoby Brissett could maybe have some value somewhere. Cornelius Lucas is an unrestricted free agent to be. I'm not saying you're going to get first round picks for all these guys, but you would think that at least some of them have value and, you know, I saw what you reported on Monday that the team has not even had contract extension negotiations with Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Well, if that's the case and the team is not hot and heavy to try to resign these guys before they hit free agency or at least are eligible for free agency. Well, what are we doing here? You know, I mean, we, we, we've all grown accustomed to the game of Washington loses the premier asset for next to nothing, whether it's Kirk Cousins or Trent Williams or Brandon Sheriff or whoever. How about we learn some lessons from the past and try to get some value for guys who we are anticipating losing? So, you know, especially if the team does not have grand designs on re-signing a bunch of these guys, uh, heck yeah, you need to be aggressively shopping them. And, you know, I don't know what the trade markets are for all these guys. Maybe the markets aren't what we think. But you don't know unless you try, unless you explore. So I would hope at the very least the commanders are exploring and are making some phone calls. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I uh, we may have talked about this before. I think I have at some point on my podcast. The, I think we all went into this summer, the start of the season, saying, hey, you know what? 
Ron Rivera is going to have to win games this year to probably keep his job. Might even have to win a playoff game just to be sure. But now we're in this position of saying, oh, come on, right? we can't really trust this team to do that, right? To get to nine wins, be be as good, you know, consistently. But I think one thing he can do immediately is, if he, this is a little bit of a savvy thinking, I, I think, is to align yourself with what we perceive to be Josh Harris's mindset when it comes to roster building. As you noted, they've got a lot of free agents. Well, also means they have a ton of cap space that they're not stuck in any real situation here. You know, they can pivot to a lot of different ways. That's a lot of great flexibility. You could say to an owner who might be interested in uh, having a more of a refresh now that he is, he is here Um, in terms of the trade deadline, getting future assets. It's not, it's not giving up on the season. I keep hearing people say, well, if you trade somebody, it's telling your locker room you're giving up on season. Eh, I don't. Th- I. I mean, it's all relative. I mean, if you traded away Terry McLaurin for twenty twenty fifth first round pick, okay, I think that would be a bad signal. But like, other than that, I don't know that it's as big of a deal. And if you traded J- Chase Young or Montez Sweat, it's the it's probably the one position on the team right now. We're like, hey, I'm not saying that the backups are as good as those guys, but we've already seen Casey Tuhill, James Smith, Williams, F. A. Obata play. Plus, you still have three. You'd still have three studs on the line. So, I, I actually think that like making trades would actually benefit Ron more than I think a lot of people are saying because it would be more in line with. Uh, also, he's talking. He's talking about Sam Howell developing. Well, then it's not. It's not just for this year. Tell the ownership, hey, we recognize where we're at. We have a really good core. Our best players are under contract, except for maybe the two defensive ends, and we're moving forward. I think that is actually something you could do. The problem is, I don't think, I don't know if Ron Rivera believes anything I just said. He's so, and like when he says, this drove me crazy, answer to my question yesterday about does anything between Sam's developing and that loss change your view of the deadline? And he said, quote, the only thing I'm focused on is getting ready for Philadelphia, end quote. This is the guy with final say in personnel matters. That's an unacceptable answer because you have to do both. You wanted this power. So I, if he could change his mindset, I actually think it would benefit him. Yeah, uh, I agree. I just don't know that there's any sort of saving his spot at this point, barring Probably you know, not. team going on some deep run. Like, if you're Josh Harris, I don't know how you look at Ron and say to yourself, this is the guy who I want presiding over football operations moving forward, or even just being the head coach moving forward. You know, I, I, I do think that Ron staying as head coach or getting fired – does come down far more to the match with Josh as opposed to any achievement this season. Like, I I think, yeah, I'm with you in that. I think we need to divorce ourselves from the idea of, well, Ron has to have X amount of wins and do, you know, Y regarding the postseason. Like, I don't think it's about that. I think it's about you're Josh Harris. You paid $6 billion plus for this team. Is Ron Rivera the guy who you want presiding over football ops moving forward? And knowing what we know about Josh Harris, I just don't know how he could be looking at what has happened and what is happening and be saying to himself, yeah, you know what? This is the guy, <laughs> you know, like this is the guy. No, no way. Like, I think if you're Josh, you're probably already putting together a list of people who you're interested in, who you want to go after. And I don't know that there is any realistic path by which Ron can stay on at this point. And so, you know, I think that may be part of his thinking with the deadline of, 
I'm going to go down to the blaze of glory. I'm keeping these guys, and we're right. going to try to win, and I'm going to try to at least go out with my head held high. We'll see. You know, I've also thought about this. The potential for Ron to maybe have a halfway decent season and then resign and, and tr- try to leave on a pseudo high note, kind of do what Joe Gibbs did after the 2007 season. Now, I know that there was more to that than, you know, maybe meets the eye. You know, there were some family issues with Joe, et cetera. But, you know, I've always felt like Joe leaving after 07, I think part of that was his second go round as Skins head coach was a lot harder than the first round. And the NFL had changed. And things weren't what they were back in the 80s and early 90s. And so Joe leaving after 07, playoff season, playoff run, you know, the death of Sean Taylor, et cetera, he at least could leave with his head held high, two playoff appearances in four years. And, you know, he still can say he's the only head coach, you know, uh, since the end of the glory days, uh, of which, of course, Joe was a big part, who made the postseason multiple times. And so, you know, I wonder if, if that is maybe in Ron's mind, too, of regardless of what Josh Harris wants if I can at least you know get to eight or nine wins this season you know we we can have what is announced as Ron Rivera resigns and at least I can maybe leave with uh being able to say hey I did get this team to a winning record or I did position this team to be in good shape moving forward forget about whether that's true or not uh but I I wonder about that yeah that's a good point I mean I think the way I was phrasing it is like if he wants to try to keep his job i think what i was suggesting might be the best path because it's hard to see how you're going to be get the wins to go to 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 succeed in the other approach on the other hand if he says screw it i'm just going to go all in whatever happens happens then like you said you don't trade anybody and you just keep moving forward and, and hope you can turn this thing around um do you have a couple you have a couple I, I this is the difference between al and i al is a radio perfectionist or you know he keeps the trains moving. He knows when the brakes are. I run through all the stop signs. I'm from the Kevin Sheehan school of we just talk and figure it out later. Are you good for a couple more minutes or do you need to go? Yeah, I mean, it's a podcast, so there are no trains. So Okay, well, yeah. all right. So Chase Young or Montez Sweat, if they're, that's the big question. Are you going to keep them both because you think you want to sign them both? And then if you do that, that's a lot of money for the line, all that stuff. But I think the perception has been for a long time if they were going to keep one, they would keep Montez Sweat. They declined Chase Young's option. We didn't know what he would be looking like post-injury. And, you know, frankly, his second year, the, the production went way down. Montez Sweat's been more consistent, all those things. Well, now there's some data. And Chase Young has probably been their best defensive lineman, certainly over the last month, at least in terms of some of the stats. If you want to tell me he's still a bit undisciplined in cases, I don't think that's wrong at all. But, like, Chase Young has been played pretty well. So here's my question for you. If they now were to trade one of them, who for you, and then let's say trade one, keep the other, resign the other one. Has that changed for you? Or would you, uh, where are you at now with one you would go with? Yeah, I still would keep Montez over Chase because, like you said, Montez has been more consistent. And I think maybe just as big, Montez has been a lot more durable. Um, I, I think the Montez sweat durability can get overlooked. The only games that he has missed in his NFL career have been because of a fluke broken jaw uh, and the shooting death of his brother. That's it. Otherwise, Montez sweat does not miss games. And, you know, it's not Chase Young's fault that he has missed games, but he has missed games. He had the knee. He had the neck thing, uh, you know, the neck injury that he suffered in the preseason opening win at Cleveland. 
uh, earlier this year. So I, I think those two factors would still have me leaning toward Montez. But it has been nice to see Chase play well. I think that he is playing well. And uh, I think that that's actually a very uh, significant overlook positive to this season. We all went into this season acknowledging Chase Young, big question mark. What exactly is he at this point? Well, he's playing his best football since his rookie season. So uh, that is good to see. Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you're saying. I think the thing that what I wonder is, and this is maybe part of the Josh Harris of it all. I, okay, so a couple things. One, Chase Young is the bigger star, right? He's gonna his face will be up on posters, on television graphics, all those things in ways Montez Sweat won't be. And I'm not saying you make decisions based on box office, but it can't be ignored. We can't live in a naive world where like we none of that matters. So I think from an organizational perspective, Chase is more valuable to them than Montez Sweat. Two, Chase Young is from here, right? The idea of the local kid and all that, obviously there's something to that whole deal. Three, I mean, I I think you're right. Montez Sweat, between the durability and the steadiness, has been the more reliable guy. Chase may have more potential, and I guess we could say, hey, if this what he's done this year after basically two lost years is a sign of where he can go, then maybe the heights are – He's good. There's more potential there for, than Montez Sweat, um, and I, I wonder if there's a shift in that direction. And then, like, you think of well, what you know, from a trade market perspective, are teams out there going to buy into the Chase Young potential, or they look at Montez Sweat? Like, if you're going to trade one of them, it would be, have to be to a contender or somebody who's a playoff team, somebody who thinks they're like that, who needs that. Like, I think of the last three teams Washington played, right? all bottom barrel and sacks, but the Atlanta Falcons are four and three. They've got a pretty good team, except that they, the quarterback question for them, but the, the pass rush is not there. Montez sweat is from Georgia. Kyle Smith is the assistant GM. He drafted Montez sweat here. I, I don't, I don't know what the deal would be, but like, I, like I'm, I'm kind of leaning to the idea that, that, not necessarily what I would do, but that that maybe there's a thinking of Chase is the better way to go for all these uh, other reasons. Um, and, and I will just – oh, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say, I think there's another thing here too, and it's information we don't have, but the behind-the-scenes stuff with Chase that clearly led Ron to talk about lack of maturity and not adhering to the defensive scheme, et cetera – I mean, I think if you're assessing who should stay and who should go, you do need to know, like, are we beyond the behind-the-scenes stuff? Is there still stuff behind the scenes that's not so great between Chase and the coaching staff? Like, I'd like to know that. And, you know, Ron was also talking about Montez Sweat to an extent, too, in 21 when he brought up that stuff. But uh, I think that's a key piece of this, too. Like, you know, where are we with the stuff that was going wrong behind the scenes uh, with Chase? Yeah, I mean, obviously that's got to be factored in uh, for sure. Um, by the way, uh, last well, last thing for me, at least on this topic, some people would say, why trade either of them? If, if they walk after the year, you're likely at a minimum to get a compensatory third-round pick. So either A, the trade would have to be equal to more than that, or why bother? And the thing is, the compensatory pick would not come to Washington – until 2025 if you traded them for a third round pick now you would get it next year helping more of the the quicker turnaround does that 
matter to you? If like if if the best you can get is a third, would you trade that knowing that likely, depending on how it all works out, that you would likely have that um situation? No, I, I, the comp pick thing. I, I don't. I think I'm sure a lot of people know this, but I feel like this does get overlooked. You're not guaranteed a comp pick. It depends on what else you do in free agency. So. If the commanders, let's say, lost Chase Young in free agency, but also signed a significant free agent, uh, they would not get a comp pick. Those two things would cancel themselves out. Now, it would depend on what else the commanders did in free agency and who else the team lost. But the comp pick formula is not you lose player X, you get this pick. It's you lose player X, well, who did you gain? And then the comp pick formula uh, is, uh, is gone about in that way. So I, I don't think you can just assume on anything with a comp pick. I, I think you have to say, if you can get a third rounder now, then yeah, you do that. And you can't just assume uh, that you're going to get a pick uh, for that guy. All right. And then lastly, we mentioned a lot of free agents on this team. NFL's value trades are weird guys who we view as who are starters or high rotation players. I, I, I don't know if it's because it's ultimately one of, 22 players on the field at any given time, but a lot of these guys who are non-quarterbacks, non-stars, don't give you near the return. If I said, hey, you know, you see all these trades, they send a player to some team and they get back, they, they also attach a seventh-round pick and get back a future six. Doesn't seem that exciting, but it's something. So I, I'm, I don't think most of the other guys that they would have to trade would necessarily net you a ton, maybe more than that, depending on the player, but not necessarily a ton. That said, is there anybody else that you are wondering about in your head that think, you know what, it might make sense for them to move him or this would be the guy that I would think you could dangle teams or anybody else out there on this team that you think of, that you think like that? Well, I mean, Kendall Fuller and Curtis Samuel are having good seasons. Now, I know it's not as simple as you could just drop them on any team and they could be having those same seasons, like systems and fits matters a lot, but I would think that those guys potentially could have value I think the wild card is Jacoby Brissett. And I know that may sound funny to people, but, you know, he did play well last season. And if there is a team that is looking for an upgrade at the QB2 spot, or maybe even a team that is having struggles at the QB1 spot, like maybe the team with which Jacoby did do well last season, Cleveland, uh, I wonder if Jacoby could maybe fetch you something. Circumstance drives everything with these NFL trades. Like you said, predicting uh, trade values. It, 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 it's almost like an exercise in futility because it, it just the, the trade values over the years have been all over the place. So like good luck trying to project what guys will truly command in trade markets. But I wonder if a guy like Brissett, who I think most people would agree would rate as, say, a top 10 QB2 in the NFL right now. Like, I think that's a pretty fair thing to say. Like I said, had a good season last season for Cleveland. Uh, I wonder if there might be a team open or at least uh, having somewhat of a desire uh, to acquire Jacoby. Uh, maybe not, but I, I think it's something worth thinking about. Uh, our columnist in Cleveland wrote, yes, I, I didn't watch the Browns game, but he wrote after that game, that the Browns have a big quarterback problem and the person that can solve it is Jacoby Brissett. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I agree. I think to me, and I also like to me, it also removes the te any temptation of not staying with Sam Howe. And to me, I wrote about this after the week three game, you got to stay with him to get out of the middle. He either is really good or they got, or he stinks and they get a top 10 pick or whatever. And I know they're three and four with him. So it's like, they're kind of in the middle, but the schedule is going to get a lot tougher 
And, uh, you know, well, he, and if he develops into a starting quarterback, regardless of the record, that's the best news. So that's why I think you, 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 you stay, uh, you stay with him. Absolutely. And, you know, you have 10 games left in this regular season. Not God would, if Sam stays healthy, 10 games for him to develop more, 10 games for him to get better. Um, you know, you, you can't say anything with certainty with Sam right now, other than to me, I, I do think that he has been more good than bad. Like, I think there is promise there. I think there is something there. And beyond the massive issue of the sacks, I actually think there's a decent amount to like with him. So he needs to be the QB one for the rest of this season. I actually think that that is what Ron Rivera is thinking. I know he did not answer your question in that way on Monday, but the sense I got, maybe you disagree. I just think Ron didn't want to back himself into a corner in any way. Didn't want to commit to anything, you know? So he kind of did that classic thing of the answer isn't yes or no. The answer is maybe, you know, because this way you're not locked into anything. And I, and I can, if that was what Ron was thinking, I can understand that, but no doubt Sam should be the QB one for the rest of this season. His development is you know, you could argue the number one thing happening with this team right now, and uh, that development needs to continue. Yeah, I also think you can just say, because I, I, when I asked the question, I said, you know, barring the unforeseen, and he could say, look, obviously we don't know what's going to predict in the future, but my intent is to develop this quarterback, as I've now repeatedly said, every answer in this press conference <laughs> and everyone in the last several, we want to, we really want to see where Sam Howell goes, and our plan is to take him all the way. If he you know, if, if he's hurt because he's getting hit or, you know, it just becomes a stretch where, all right, maybe he needs a, a reset like we did with Emmanuel Forbes. Uh, we'll, we'll have that conversation. But our intent is to him to stay. I, 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 that doesn't box him in too much of anything unless people just want to make a, a stink about it. Um, I, I'll throw out one. Well, I think I think two guys for me that stand out about sort of you could sort of have your cake and eat it too. see what they can get while not hurting the team too, too much. One is Deami Brown. I'm not saying it would be any real market for him, okay? But, like, you know, he was a third-round pick. Uh, he's buried here. I know Curtis Samuel is going to be a free agent. But at this point, I don't think anybody would say Deami steps in and you you move on. I, I haven't seen enough. There are teams that need receivers. Um, you know, maybe the Carolina Panthers, if you see something on their roster at 0-6, it could even help you now or whatever. You know, maybe that one's for like a player. I don't know. That's just food for thought. The other one... I think Antonio Gibson, again, running backs, we know, you know, to a certain degree, you can kind of find anywhere, but he does have a lot of talent. We've seen him be highly productive in this league, but this game, this last game, he got four touches in the game against Atlanta. He got four touches in the game against the Eagles, four touches, no, no rush attempts like, and Chris Rodriguez this last game had seven carries and nine snaps. Like, you know, like I, I if you're not going to use them, I would say, what else can you do? I mean, it, it would be a tactical loss, but you have Brian Robinson. Rodriguez looks interesting as a runner, at least Derek Gore looks reasonable. You have Curtis Samuel to take some of those passing downs. I, I, I think I would see what teams out there are kind of hurting at running back and, you know, see what you can do with him. Yeah, I mean, I think anyone who's set to be an unrestricted free agent should be on the table. I mean, I, you know, I, I think, like like I said earlier, if you're going to sell, you need to sell. Like, th th there's no point in going halfway into this. Like, if you're going to be an aggressive seller, you be open to selling everyone, and you kind of see uh, who can command what. 
uh, on the trade market. It, it, it's funny with Gibson because, you know, I, I was so excited when Washington took him in that third round of the 2020 draft. He had what I think we all would say was a very encouraging rookie season. But it just it hasn't happened here with him becoming the player who we thought that he could become. And maybe the expectations were unfair. But, I mean, we all remember the talk of he could be Washington's version of Christian McCaffrey. And it's like, no, actually, that guy is still Christian McCaffrey, who is, is just unbelievable <laughs> with what he's doing in San Francisco. But, I mean, Gibson hasn't come close to that. And I'm not saying that that's all his fault. You know, the quarterback instability here obviously has had a lot to do with that. But he has not emerged as the pass-catching threat that we hoped. We thought that things would be different with Eric Bieniemy. That really isn't the case. And, you know, I know he's had the fumbling problems, and he's had a little bit of an injury uh, issue. Although, you know, to his credit, he has played through a lot uh, of his injury problems. But just especially the last few seasons, the production just isn't there. Like, he, he comes off more like a backup running back than he does as, like, a real true offensive weapon who can be out there a lot and can produce for you a lot. And and maybe that's the fault of Washington. Maybe Washington has not been enough to uh, extract the true value uh, that is Antonio Gibson. But I don't know, man. I, I, I now, when I think back to that those conversations about he could be Washington's Christian McCaffrey, like, I laugh at that. Like, he's not close to McCaffrey with the way he's being used and also what he's doing when he's being used. Right. No, a hundred percent. And like I said, if they're going to play, give Chris Rodriguez more touches. Okay. Yeah. I mean, look, one guy has three years left on his contract and the other guys are free agents. Go ahead. Lean into the future. And Rodriguez looks interesting. So, but yes, but don't let it play out. I mean, at least see, maybe no, maybe nobody says I don't want him, but again, this is a guy who's been a thousand yard back. Right. And he's, been, you know you can do a lot of stuff so uh, th- that's the type of thing i would look at but if your if your thought process we're only focused on philadelphia then you may not think that way um all right uh the al Galdi podcast you guys are already subscribing go hit the subscribe button again like do it twice i don't know if that works but you know hit, if, download al show on all your devices uh at al Galdi on twitter anything else to promote uh are you still doing your nets pod or we put that to a bed till spring training yeah we'll do some uh over the course of the offseason I, I know you have a lot of listeners who are wizards fans uh i on the tuesday installment of my podcast had on a guy who i know you know well josh robbins who covers the wizards for the athletic uh, we had a good conversation uh, about the wizards uh soon to be beginning season and you know kind of the state of what they're trying to do in terms of the rebuild there's some nuance to what they're trying to do josh explained that well and uh, we also got into the Denny Avdia extension. Another big extension signed by the Wizards. Although I think this one is is sensible. It's palatable. It certainly is not untradeable. Uh, four years, 55. And, no it do- and it doesn't include a no trade clause, I assume. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yes. But, uh, which is probably the most important thing. By the way, while we've been talking, Shams put out a tweet that Bradley Beal is not expected to play in Phoenix the season opener tonight because of a back issue. Wow. So. Well, uh, raise your hand if you're stunned by that, if you're a Wizards fan. We like Bradley, but he missed a lot of time uh, during his time. here. He did. All right, Al, I'll, I'll talk to you next week on your podcast based on our history. Better chance the Commanders win this week than that week, and uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, thanks as always, man. We'll talk soon. Let's get a win. Uh, thanks. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks to Mike Florio and Al Galdi for their time. And, of course, thank you for checking out the podcast and my work on The Athletic. Greatly appreciated. Uh, big game, obviously, coming up against the Eagles. We'll see what Washington does, if the new-look offensive line helps. Chase Young and Montez Sweat. 
Uh, do they, ha, ha, does their performance on Sunday change anything one way or the other? Um, before the deadline, lots, lots, lots to get into. That is it for now, though. Ben Standig signing off. Until next time. See ya.